Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by Dan Club to break down Liverpool's defeat against Manchester United. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, Liverpool beaten 2-1 at Old Trafford uh, to make it their worst start to a season uh, for a decade and just two points from the first nine available in the Premier League. So, all pretty miserable at the moment, you would have to say. But before we get into anything related to the match, um, which we will do in a lot of detail, I wanted to talk briefly about something that happened before the game because um, this is the kind of thing that I feel needs to be addressed by, by, by someone, um, even if it is just us. Um, so there was there was footage before the game of uh, United fans throwing basically bottles and cans of beer um, at a coach, thinking it was a Liverpool coach. It wasn't in the end. Um, and chanting murderers, uh, which obviously is um, related to Hillsborough, um, at least in part. So, Dan, I just wanted to to get your thoughts on that. Like, obviously, this was meant to be um, a Glazer protest. And the thing that disturbs me when this happens all the time is because it, it's not a surprise anymore by any means. Like, we see it pretty regularly. Um, and not only um, when we play Man United. But the thing that get, gets to me is it doesn't seem to be picked up at all by the media, even though the video I actually saw was posted by... Um, a journalist from the Athletic. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it's gained much kind of traction beyond that. Um, and am I right in saying that there wasn't anything from from Sky in terms of acknowledging it? No, I've not seen it acknowledged um, sort of by a wider audience yet. And like, like you say, when I seen who had first flagged it, there was part of me that thought, well, it can't really be ignored now because often, you know, we as fans video these things and we as fans highlight these things on Twitter or any other social media and it doesn't really go any further. We talk about it in like Liverpool circles, but you're right, then the mainstream media never seems to pick up on it. But on this occasion, I had hoped that maybe they would. Um, but as of now, that doesn't seem to be the case. Whether that's because... Obviously, it was before the game. It was amidst the protests and there was almost a bigger story in town. And it gets picked up on tomorrow, um, sort of after the fallout of the result. You never know. But like you say, I I don't see it. Um, I can't envisage that being the case, unfortunately. And for me, it's, it's a little bit exhausting. Like, I know that sounds really quite selfish almost, but we have heard it so many times i've been at so many games whereby that's been the case including against manchester united in the past including at old trafford and you just like you just get a little bit fed up of it um at first it kind of angers you and it riles you and you obviously you know it's it's unpleasant to hear that'll never go away for all the connotations it has but like i say by this point now we've kind of seen it heard it and discussed it so many times you just kind of despair a little bit especially when you hear it in some of the circumstances like we obviously had the Ronaldo thing last time we played United in terms of I think we clapped in I want to say on the seventh minute I apologize if we get that wrong we clapped on the seventh minute um for what he'd been through uh, sort of in the build-up to that match then United sort of response to that was to carry on with their usual chance and then on this occasion United are holding a protest against their ownership group, which has got nothing to do with Liverpool, and yet still 
they wheel out the same old nonsense. So yeah, it's just a little bit tiresome um, for me, um, to be honest. And yeah, unfortunately, I don't think the mainstream media will highlight it because they've got a tendency not to do so. Whether that's because it's an awkward conversation for them to have, I don't know. But they seem happy to highlight other things. Um, but they don't seem willing to go into this. And why that is, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I just think that the way that Liverpool as a city and, and the fans are kind of treated and perceived, the media is almost so wrapped up in that in a way, um, historically, that it isn't something maybe that is confronted. And you've got this situation at Sky Sports where you've got, you know, Martin Tyler, everyone heard his comments before the season where yeah. he essentially said um, Hillsborough was a hooligan incident. Obviously, he apologised for them, but to me, it wasn't so much about the apology because it was inevitable like he was going to apologise. It was like, that's the understanding that's ingrained in his mind. Um, it was a sort of a, a Freudian slip in that way. Um, and, and it's quite telling. So you've got him as kind of the lead commentator. You have Gary Neville then on the side who, I don't know if he's aware of it or not, but it just kind of is a bit of a, a kick in the stomach really when you hear him praising the atmosphere so much and you realise that there is that sort of dark side to it. And I'm a little bit disappointed by Jamie Carragher as well. Um, mm. Not really sort of raising... And he, I don't think he's raised anything to do with like what Martin Tyler said either, whether the, he's sort of aware in his ear from his employers or anything like that. But realistically, Carragher's unsackable um, in the in the position he's in. Um, so I would have hoped that he he would address it at least on social media or something. But anyway, we'll we'll leave that there for now. But regrettably, I don't think it's going to be the last time we have this kind of discussion. Um, we'll move into the uh, on-field events now. Um, and Dan, I want to start with the three-yard match review as usual, and we'll lead into it today uh, by talking about the attitude and the mentality um, of the Liverpool players. What did you think of it? Yeah, um, what I thought of it was not even close, um, and that is my three-word match review. Um, just really disappointing. Like The fact we were able to come out of that game 2-1 shows you how poor Manchester United are, by the way. And you know, credit to them for the start of the game that they made. But I do think a lot of that was down to us allowing them. A lot of the fallout, the immediate aftermath from the game from Klopp and Andy Robertson in particular, has been about the start and the really sluggish start that we made. And I think it's become a trend now. That's obviously seven games we've gone a goal behind him. Um, and we didn't just go a goal behind early on in this one. We we literally didn't start the game until sort of 25 minutes had gone. Um, and like I say, United, whether that was sort of a, a conscious effort from them to, to start fast, knowing that we've been sluggish recently, I'm not sure, but nothing came off. And, and there is a mentality thing there because we just, no one got us going. Jordan Henderson, who's kind of built a, somewhat of a career on that for Liverpool, he's got lots of qualities. But sort of ev- the thing everyone always put, everyone always points to with him is how good he is at sort of inspiring us and getting us going. Never happened. You know, James Milner tried his best, but even Virgil Van Dijk, like a player renowned for being at the top of his game, the hundred percent of the time, miles off it for twenty minutes and. You can't really put it down to ability because we've seen these players with innate ability do it time and time again. So mentally and attitude-wise, there's something seriously amiss at the minute. 
Um, and I can't put my finger on what it is, and I'm sure Jurgen Klopp can't, because if he could, I'm sure he would have addressed it by now. Um, Andy Robertson's spoken about being a tight-knit group and, you know, some serious conversations need to be had. And that might be what it boils down to, because that tonight, I, I almost want to talk about the game in, like, different segments, because I actually don't believe we were that poor from sort of 25 minutes, half an hour out. But that first half an hour or so, we were absolutely abysmal. I mean, first off, credit to Robertson um, in that I'm pretty sure he very often volunteers to do post-match media duties when Liverpool draw or lose. So, you know, he, he faces up to it, he fronts up, and I, I think he deserves uh, to be commended for that um, in terms of how he actually played in the match. Not one of the worst performers, but pretty anonymous, um, to be honest. Uh, my three red match review is compound the misery, um, and I'm not just thinking about this season with that and and the pretty um, awful way in which it started for us, but I'm also thinking about how last season ended. Pretty much since the FA Cup final, it's been painful uh, for us, and you know, well, smallest violin some other fan bases might think, but you know, to lose. The prem well, we didn't lose the Premier League on the final day, but to have it pan out the way it did, um, followed by the Champions League final, obviously, you know, just a week after that, and then you know the way this season has started with you know the results against Fulham and Palace, and then to lose to to that United team today is just is really 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 gets you down um, at the moment. So that's why I've went went with that as a review in terms of the attitude today. I thought. Almost a little bit like Fulham on the opening day, in a sense, it was like Liverpool buy into the kind of pre-match expectation of going there and, and repeating last season or, or getting close to that. Um, and, and, you know, on the back of the Brentford performance as well, they probably thought that they were in for a much easier ride um, than they actually got. Um, that narrative really, I mean, I can't remember what my score prediction was. I think I said 2 or 3-1. Um, but the narrative that it, it could be I think Carragher was saying this, like it could be sort of a repeat of last season. I think it probably was ill-founded um, in a way because as much as United were were terrible um, against Brentford and and they weren't much better against Brighton, you know you've got to think about this as a fixture and and last season, you know, winning five nil there, that is inherently going to be an anomaly anomaly, I think, because. I mean, it would have been three wins in a row at Old Trafford if we'd won that one today. I don't know when the last time that would have happened is. And, and you know, in terms of United doing the same at Anfield as well, exceedingly rare. And also, this this cliche about form going out the window for derby games, there is definitely something in it. And I think I think we probably, well, maybe didn't see that on the Liverpool side because it was quite consistent with form, but certainly for United in terms of, like, harnessing the atmosphere in the stadium. And, yeah, I'd also say, like, we were rattled, you know. Sometimes I get frustrated when when people bandy that about, and I'm like, it's not really that bad, but it, you couldn't deny it. Um, second to every ball, one of the most frustrating aspects of that match, missed tackles. The amount of those was crazy. You know, just absolute sort of fleece challenges. I'd describe them as. Um, and the thing that is really frustrating, uh, and the thing that really gets to me is. You look at these two teams, Man United is supposed to be the one is the team full of cowards, basically, with with a sort of inherent attitude problem that is, you know, holding them back. But if anything, they were the ones they with the exact right sort of approach for the derby game and, and Liverpool were the ones with, with the issues. And you do wonder about the mood 
in the Liverpool camp at the moment. You know, emotions don't seem to be in check necessarily. You know, the the Nunez read last week today with sort of Milner confronting Van Dijk. Whether I can sort of equate those two instances, I don't know. But like, there's a couple of worrying signs there. I think, as you alluded to, Dan, and and I, I thought that we were. You know the end of the way last season ended with with the parade and having that moment of sort of of solace at the end of the campaign that we'd be able to put last season behind us, um, but I do think that there might be some mental fatigue from that still, which is understandable and also worrying at the same time. But yeah, let's um, let's move it on a little bit um, and away from sort of mentality and more towards tactics and and kind of the. The real nuts and bolts, I suppose, of what actually happened. Uh, Klopp's team selection um, happens quite often. Bit of a stare on Twitter before the game. Fabinho dropped uh, Henderson, Milner and Elliot as the midfielders. What did you think of that, Dan? I, I was surprised to see Fabinho um, left out of the side, to be honest. It, it's an interesting one for me. Um, I... I was in a weird situation going into the game because I believe Harvey Elliott has probably been our, our standout performer so far this season, including tonight, by the way. Um, but I didn't envisage him starting this game. I thought he'd certainly go with Fabinho at the base um, just for that assuredness he gives us. Um, and he has done for so long now. He's been such a, a, a consistent performer for us. Um, and I felt sure he would go with Jordan Henderson. Um, obviously, in his role as captain and the energy he gives us and everything he offers. And I, I did think he'd stick with James Milner because, again, I think he's played well recently and I think he'd like his battling qualities and what he can bring to a game, particularly Old Trafford, having done so last year. And that was when the whole Naby Keita thing was apparently wasn't going to be around, obviously, because I would have actually started Keita um, had he been available. But, of course, he wasn't because it's Naby Keita. Um so I was surprised to see Fabinho not included um, and Elliot got the nod. But at the same time, I was OK with it, like I say, because I think Elliot has been superb. The back four picked itself and, and the front three picked itself. Um, obviously, as it transpired, the midfield had no control of the game whatsoever. Um, I mean, Jordan Henderson in particular was very poor. James Milner was a close second to that, actually. I think both of them, neither of them got a, got a grip of the game whatsoever. Um, they were late to tackles, they were mistiming stuff, the passing was awry. Obviously, Jordan Henderson ends up being at fault in some way for that second goal because his touch is poor. And, and James Milner, you know, it's, it's a strange one as well that James Milner is the one that's sort of berating Virgil van Dijk for that first goal, rightly so in many ways. But Jordan Henderson isn't the one doing that. And I know he's vice-captain, he's got all the experience in the world, so I don't really blame him or have a particular issue with him for that. But it's strange how that wouldn't be Henderson in that situation. Um, and Milner took it upon himself. And the same could be said for the, for the second goal, because like I say Henderson's touch is poor, and Milner has a go for Henderson for it, and it's just like, that's the captain, that. So, I don't know, it does make you wonder exactly what is going on at the minute, to be honest. I'm not going to go too deep into sort of the mentality and what's wrong in the camp, because I'm not entirely sure there is all that much. Um, but yeah, just in terms of the line, I wasn't overly surprised, like I say. I think Klopp's hands are tied, aren't they? I mean, look at the list of absentees. I don't want to make excuses, but it is ludicrous. that To bring it back around to sort of the entire 
lineup and bench that we had tonight. That bench. Like there's some talented kids on there, likes of Bobby Clark, um, Bajetic, we've seen a lot of in the summer. Some talented young players on there, but they are not gonna change a game at Old Trafford in that atmosphere when you when you're trailing. That's not gonna happen. Um and that showed in the subs we did make. Fabinho comes on, great player, loving to pieces, defensive midfielder. Is he really gonna go and win you that game? Costa Simicas comes on. Again, good player, you know, very able deputy to Andy Robertson. He's a left back. You know, Fabio Carvalho, credit to him, brilliant when he came on. We're calling on a 19-year-old to try and change the game at Old Trafford. Like, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, I was okay with the lineup. Klopp's hands are tied. What can you do, Dave? I agree that Carvalho was, you know, I'm not going to bother talking about positives tonight because... I don't think I don't think anyone's gonna be asked, frankly, talking about positives at the moment. But um yeah, I thought he he was impressive when he came on. Um and yeah, the bench was a worry from the off. And to be fair, we did manage to, to change the game a little bit with with the limited options we had, but yeah, we'll and we'll come on to the injuries, I'm sure, a little bit later on. But in terms of yeah, just to touch on the midfield selection again. Fabinho was a player we both defended um, on here in the pre-match um, podcast that we did. Obviously, Klopp agreed that his level had had dropped uh, recently and decided to to put him on the bench. Henderson, you know, people talk a lot about him looking better as a number six. I think he did when he moved there against Fulham, but not good from him tonight at all. Second goal, obviously the the low point for him. Um, James Milner. I mean, I was going to say he looked like a 36-year-old who's been given a one-year deal on reduced terms, but that would be kind. He was he was horrific, in my opinion. Really, really, really bad. Um, and what do you think is going on with Keita? I know you said there and you just accepted the, the whole injury thing, but just to very briefly touch on this before we move on to the goals that we conceded. Any sort of suspicion there for me that there's something more in there? Obviously, with all the noises we've been hearing this week, it seems like there might have been briefings from uh, Case's agent to uh, the media in Germany, potentially. Mm. Oh, yeah, I'd be foolish to sort of, you know, I'd be lying if I said that didn't cross my mind when I seen he wasn't in the squad um, at all. Um, That definitely was one of the first things that popped into my head in terms of, it could be something to do with him wanting away, potentially. Um, Klopp spoke about it, obviously, sort of late on in his press conference this week and said, as things stand, he's not going anywhere. But if he was to leave, we'd definitely be getting a replacement, which makes a lot of sense, clearly. But, yeah, there could well be something in that. But at the same, at the same token, like, Navigator being injured isn't a massive surprise anyway. So I'm kind of willing to accept both imposters <laughs> with the same level of... Um, of believability, which definitely isn't a word, by the way. But um, they're both very believable, let's put it that way. Um, could be a transfer thing, but could easily be yet another remarkable injury in the list of remarkable injuries Naby Keita manages to get. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find out soon enough. If, if it isn't injury-related, then he's probably gone up before the end of the window. Um, but I think just someone in what you say, I think there was a tweet from Paul Machen before the game where he was like, yes, it's suspicious, but also... He could have pulled his groin on for a piss because it's Keita, um, which I think kind of sums it up. But yeah, like I said, we're going to move on to the the goals we conceded now. Um, let's just do both of them at the same same time. 
who do you think was culpable? What do you think went wrong for, for the two goals, Dan? Oh, good question. Um, God, that is a good question. Um, I, I it's, it's, Virgil van Dijk's quite clearly getting a lot of stick for the first goal. I mean, it, it's it's pretty shambolic from sort of start to finish, I suppose. You've got James Milner diving across and I suppose committing himself. If Jaden Sancho takes a shot there and he, he blocks it, he's done the right thing and he's a hero, but... It doesn't look great when Sancho obviously cuts back and has all the time in the world to then pick his spot. Um, Allison's committed himself as well, you could say. But yeah, for me, Virgil van Dijk has to take responsibility for that first one. We make a lot of van Dijk when he... Some of his best bits of defensive work has been when he doesn't act. But there's a time and a place whereby you've got to do something. And that's probably sort of when you're camped on your own six-yard box with a Man United player in acres of space waiting to pick his spot, that's the time you should probably go out and press the player. Um, and he didn't. He just waited. And obviously we went 1-0 down. And for the second goal, I'm not going to blame anyone for the second goal, I don't think. I might be wildly inaccurate there, but for my recollection right now, it was just... It, it's a sort of goal Liverpool have become very used to conceding, actually. Um, a player breaking our high line, having turned the ball over sort of in midfield and we get counter-attacked on. It was it is sort of reminiscent of a lot of goals we can see. Um, I'm not sure I can blame. I suppose Jordan Henderson quite clearly gets to blame for that woeful touch. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I think that's exactly the sort of thing we've been doing quite a lot of, really. So I think it's more of a collective thing, that second one, apart from, like I say, Henderson's appalling touch. Yeah, the second goal in particular was a horrific one to concede. Um, I thought for the first, you know, Trent got criticised, um, as he always does. I think the fact that he was left two against one in that situation put him in trouble. Um, you let Ericsson, I think it was, find room between like the defence and midfield, and, and you're always going to be kind of hurt when you do that. Um, Milner obviously diving in, like you say. Um, and... I want to ask you about about Van Dyke a little bit more in a second, but I'll just touch on the the, uh, the other goal first of all. Um, Henderson, obviously, like you say. Also, I don't know if this is just me, but I'll, I've watched it back, and Allison moves. He's sort of quite a long way to like the right hand side as you watch, and obviously Rashford finishes it at the near post. Um, I might be wrong on this. That might be the best way he could possibly have approached it from a goal, goalkeeping point of view. Like, goalkeeping's kind of harder to kind of analyse, um, I'd say. But it seemed like he did just leave that pretty big gap for to make it easy for Rashford, sort of easier than it needed to be because it was always going to be a really good chance. Maybe a contrast to how he approached the Alanga chance early on. Um, probably a slightly harder finish if Rashford has to try and go for the far post. Um, but he's, he probably would have scored either way, so we won't make too much of that. And also, it's annoying that Jaden Sancho, like who's barely done anything since he joined, and, and Marcus Rashford, who's been dreadful for like a year or more, scored against us. And I'm, I'm not saying we're not to blame for that, but it's just it just feels typical. Um, I just thought I'd have that little rantish moment there. But yeah, this Van Dyke thing to just come back to that. It, you are right, it is this sort of very non-combative style of defending. He stands off and a lot of the time, like you say, it has paid dividends. But 
do you think he's becoming in moments almost too arrogant, too lax, too complacent? I don't know. It seems like maybe maybe he just feels like he's got this sort of aura about him at times and and that he doesn't almost need to do some of the dirty work. What do you reckon? Yeah, perhaps. I think that's obviously a fair assessment because we've seen it now with the Zaha one last week um, and obviously this one now whereby he doesn't fully engage the attacker um, and obviously it results in a goal. And Maybe there is a bit of aura about him. that is. I'm, I'm not going to put it down to arrogance um, because we've seen it come off too, too many times. We've seen it obviously work in our favour too many times for me to say that right now. If it was to continue to happen then it's a different conversation but I just think his decision making isn't quite there as it should be at the moment, um, and I don't necessarily, you know, that's, that's quite clearly not the end of the world. That's something that can be addressed quite quickly. But if I was him, I would be um, engaging those situations a lot faster from here on out because, quite clearly, whether it's been a conscious effort from attackers to sort of be a bit more clinical around him because he doesn't like how often have we seen him. Sort of when he does engage, he often how he comes out on top, sort of 99 times out of 100. That's why a lot of attackers don't even bother. How many times have we seen players sort of realize this Van Dyken and turn away from the situation? But now at the minute, you know, opposition players have got this knack of going, Yeah, I know what you're going to do, you're not going to come to me, so I'm going to be the one to make a decision and I'm going to be the one to make that play, and it's working. Um, so Van Dijk almost needs to recalculate his thinking. Um, and I think that's what James Milner was almost attempting to drum into him in the af- immediate aftermath of the goal, because he said, from what I could lip read, was like, you need to go out to that man. And Van Dijk was almost taking it on board. If so, yeah, OK, I will do, I will do. Um, it's, it's preposterous that he needs to tell him because he's the best in the world. But quite clearly, he has developed a, a style in his head at least, and we have seen it sort of bear fruit as well, that means he doesn't have to go and make that challenge. His presence so often has been enough to put a, put an opposition player off that it meant they haven't scored. We've seen it with Son in the final, I always reference back to that one, whereby Van Dijk simply essentially being around is enough to mean that Tottenham don't equalise. But at the minute, that isn't working players are taking the chance against Van Dijk and it's coming off for them so he needs to recalibrate and start proving that he is the best defender in the world again by actually defending and not just watching yeah I think it's a test for him it's like like you say because he is he is the best and there might be a moment now where he does need to sort of recalibrate his methods a little bit um and if he can be sort of as as rock solid as usually it's for, for the remainder of the season. And I think he would deserve credit for like maybe recognising the error of his ways um, in certain moments and realising that he almost just can't adopt this kind of, you know, we talk about him being calm as you like, but maybe too calm uh, in certain situations. But we'll just talk a little bit more about the performance that Liverpool put in, kind of going both ways. Um, and then we'll kind of think about the wider kind of context and what this means and where Liverpool are at. Um, obviously, Liverpool had, uh, let me tell you now, 71% of the ball uh, in this game. Against Palace, they had 73 uh, last week. And against Fulham, they had 67. So, 
it was pretty much similar to those two, which is kind of a surprise, I suppose, um, given that it's Man United away this time. But did you feel that Liverpool carried a genuine threat? And and if they didn't, um, why was it? What was the missing piece sort of from an offensive point of view? Um, now, they, they, for me, it was we were again. I, we were so restricted in what we could and couldn't do in this game. Like United deserve a lot of credit for they clearly seen we were sort of short on options in the attacking sense, and they thought right, they're going to line up with Firmino through the middle is going to be Salah and Diaz, and they cut off so much of what those three players like to do, like Bobby Firmino. He won a couple of free kicks early on because Martinez and Varane were both so tight to him. But he's, he never, ever during the whole game got on the ball and turned and made anything happen around him. Like, we've become so accustomed to see him. They absolutely shut that down. He was going into such a congested area that at no point did he ever manage to dictate the game, which he, which he can do. He has the ability to do that. So he was essentially... A passenger for the entire 90 minutes and it wasn't necessarily his fault like there's one moment where he has that volley at the back post that was actually really poor but aside from that he didn't do a lot wrong he just never got a kick basically um because united knew he was going to be one of our main weapons and they just cancelled it out um and the same could be said for salah and diaz to a certain extent i mean fair dues to malassia against salah like salah got the better of him a few times but how often was malassia winning the ball back, winning the second ball, you know, dealing with them situations. So from an attacking point of view, we almost tried every possible avenue that we had available to us. Um, and again, I go back to the bench, like had it have been, had we had Darwin Dunez, Diogo Jota, um, Thiago, even Oxley chamberlain on that bench, I think after sort of half an hour when it's pretty evident that United had sussed us out, in the way we we're going to start and it wasn't working, we'd have been making changes, whether it be tactical or personnel. We couldn't do that. The only time we did do that really was bringing Fabio Carvalho and it worked because he brought something different. He got us back into the game, essentially. So I haven't got a lot of criticism from us from an attacking point of view because the cards that we have, we played them all. But United were just wise to them because they saw it coming. Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from there. I, I kind of was watching it um, and I didn't really expect us to score. I was almost surprised when we did, to be fair, um, because it was for all the possession we were having. Like, I didn't think that there was much kind of genuine danger there. A lot of that was probably to do with the quality of the final pass, um, which was which was awful at times. Um and it was just very scrappy. The ball was like bouncing around the box. You know, the way the goal came was the way it looked like it would come in a strange way, like getting that kind of break of the ball, um, to be fair, rather than necessarily breaking them down, which we only managed to do probably. Well, you could probably count it on one hand the amount of times we actually managed to do that during the game. Um, but to like extend a little bit, so obviously you can kind of get guess United's game plan and, and you touched on it there really compact um when they're defending and then they know they can counter attack into space i think that the balance of this team isn't 100 percent right 
Um, I think we look too easy to attack against, um, too open. And obviously, given the amount of players we commit forward and just our inherent football and identity, there are going to be moments in the game where we're exposed. And I, I completely understand that. But I think, like I say, it's about balance. And I think it's gone too far in terms of being precarious. Um, and it was something that I think I raised last season too, um, to be fair. And it's like, if you can beat that first sort of wave of pressure in your own half, then, you know, it looks like, it just looks like such a dangerous situation. Look, like we saw it um, in the Palace game last week. The ball, Geiter kicks the ball to Eze, sort of dinks a pass to him near his touchline, um, near, near the left touchline, about midway through the, the Palace half. He takes a touch between Trent and Fabinho, and then it's him and Owen, him and Zahar and Van Dijk and Phillips in a, in a 2v2 situation, basically. And obviously, they score from that. Um, and yeah, I just think there's a lack of kind of protection there um, and, a, and a lack of balance. And it, it feels like a bit familiar at this point. Like maybe there hasn't been the necessary tweaks that have been made. Um, would you agree with that, then? Yeah, 100%. I think it's hard not to. We are seeing the same old issues arise, aren't we? And we are conceding, like I mentioned earlier, we're conceding very similar types of goals and even very similar types of opportunities that don't necessarily always result in goals. Like, And the warning signs are there all the time. That's what's probably most concerning for me. Like, I was doing a live um, commentary for the game tonight and and when Alanga hit the post early on, I described that as a warning sign. And in my mind, I thought it is a warning sign quite clearly, but surely it won't sort of materialise into anything because we've got to be wise to that situation. But like you say, we are becoming quite easy to attack against and we are seeing the same things time and time again. Um, which is probably the biggest concern, actually, because if you can't address that after this long, I mean, the high line and all that sort of stuff, that's been sort of our our friend for long periods, hasn't it? Especially since the sort of VAR era came into force. But we are getting caught out a little bit too often now. Um, and tonight's another example of that. So maybe we do need to shake things up a little bit. I've seen already people talking about different formations and what have you on, on social media. Because people feel the four-three-three is getting stale from an attacking and defensive point of view, so it'd be interesting to see. I do think it comes down to when Klopp has more players available to him. I don't see him sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater in terms of formation now, because he's not got the players to do so. But when Nunes is back from his ban and maybe with a Jota back or something like that, maybe we'll see different things then because. There's definitely an argument to say that the formation, the tactics and our ability to defend situations has been found out a little bit, perhaps. Yeah, and you worry about how easy it is to devise a game plan against Liverpool at the moment, um, to be honest. And yeah, I just think we don't exert enough control in games um, and it's not a huge issue. But it's definitely one that needs to be recognised, in my opinion. Um, one player that I just want to touch on uh, is Firmino. I know you mentioned there, I didn't think he was he was too bad, Dan. Um, I found it hard to watch him tonight, to be honest. Um, his ball retention is horrible at times, genuinely. There's a lack of physical strength, um, sort of misplacing passes all the time, choosing the wrong option. Um, 
it's very hard to argue that that he isn't kind of past it at this point, in my opinion. But obviously, he wouldn't be playing. Listen to this neat segue now. He wouldn't be playing if we had all of our players available. So let's think about how much the injuries are a mitigating factor, how bad it is um, at the moment. Dan, do you think that everything will go back to what we expect once we get the, the lion's share of that group back? Or do you think that based on what we've seen so far, we might actually have to adjust our expectations for, for this season? Oh, I think we're adjusting expectations. I think that's almost goes without saying, um, to be honest. Just because, again, the standards are so high that have been set by Liverpool and Manchester City over the past few years. To, to take two points from your first nine is is a million miles away from being title-winning form, quite frankly. And that's despite Man City dropping points yesterday. I'm not, I'm not willing to sort of concede the Premier League because funny things have happened and we've clawed back bigger gaps than this in the past. But all things now don't point to a title challenge. Let, let's be perfectly honest like that. That's a preposterous suggestion. If anyone genuinely believes we're going to win the Premier League, then even me as a positive individual and Liverpool fan, Wants a little bit of whatever they're on, um, because I just don't foresee that being plausible right this moment. And that might be because we've just been beat by Man United, um, and my mood isn't exactly sterling. Um, but yeah, in terms of where we will be when the injury, it, by the way, when you were asking that, I had shades of that nightmarish no centre back season. I'm pretty sure you've asked me that same question word for word <laughs> during that. Um, but yeah, I, I am positive in terms of how we will sort of see out the remainder of the campaign, providing all those players do come back fit and healthy and relatively quickly as well, because there's some world-class players and some key players missing there for us at the minute. And people will say, oh yeah, but your starting eleven still looks great and so on and so forth. But that, that squad tonight, and again, I want to say the kids are brilliant, there's some brilliant talent in there there really is but Klopp was never going to turn to four or five of those players on the bench two of them were goalkeepers so he's never going to turn to them tonight at any stage we'd have had to have been falling it up with like five minutes to go for some of them lads to get a run out there and that just shows you how weak we are right now so I've got every faith that once a handful of them players return then we will return to normality if that makes sense I, I don't envisage this mini crisis going beyond where we're currently at and when players return from injury or we make a sign in who knows I think things will be fine I think we've we are going through a mini transition and there will be changes and there will be a little bit of inconsistency along the way but we win a hell of a lot of games of football this season I, I'm positive of it yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the title, there's two aspects to it. There's the points. We, we brought it back from, from bigger margins, obviously, but still two out of nine. Seven points dropped already is a massive, massive concern. Um, and even beyond that, you're looking at the very real issues that you're seeing in terms of the squad and some of the players, um, and you think that they might be too much to overcome. Um, I think... I mean, I'm not going to go on social media probably at all this week, or certainly not till towards the end of the week, because you kind of know what it's going to be like. I'm pretty sure there's going to be people on there who are questioning whether Liverpool are even going to finish in the top four. Um, there'll be, there'll definitely be some of that. I think it's pretty. Mu- I would say it's 
pretty much an ASI anti that Liverpool are in there, to be honest. Um, you know, we've got to make sure we don't overreact whilst still understanding the seriousness of the situation at the moment. Um, you know, you've got to consider how, how quickly things can change in football. Um, and I think they will. You know, think about last season, for example, Chelsea start in November, look like the best team in the league. They look like they could probably be favourites to the title. End of the season, they're nowhere, they're miles off. So, you know, three games into the season and the picture could look very different in a few months' time. And I hope I sort of come back to these comments. Um, and, you know, we, we do nearly have a sort of full 11 of players out. You know, I was looking at it before the game. It was like, I think it was sort of a a 3-3-2 three, three, formation or something like that. Um, and you just need, it was like, we probably need a left-back in there, probably need one more midfielder. And then you've got a, a team, you could field essentially Avenger players. Um, which are probably do better than team that we saw tonight, actually, um, in a way. Um, the problem, of course, is that some of these injuries were probably foreseeable, certainly in the midfield. Um, so, Dan, we can't really avoid this question. I imagine it's going to be the thing that is reaching kind of fever pitch um, on Twitter between now and the 1st of September. Um, do you think it's negligence if Liverpool don't buy a midfielder between now and the deadline. Is it that bad? Is it on the level of, of not getting the centre-back um, a couple of years ago and paying the price for it? No, it's not on that level. Um, the centre-back issue for me was far worse because we knew all of our senior centre-backs were missing for long periods of time, if not the entire season, all of them. I don't think we were quite sure were massive at the time. Um and we were literally left with none. We already had Fabinho and Jordan Henderson playing the role massively wildly out of position. So we're not quite in them stakes yet with the midfield. So it's not as bad as that. Um, therefore, I'm not willing to say it's negligent either. Um, I think it would be an oversight if we didn't sign one. And I've said this from start to finish um, on here and on, on, on various different things. Um because the injury issues, I've said it before, numbers-wise, I think we're okay if you sort of lined up at the entirety of Liverpool's midfield department and said, is there enough there and is there enough quality there? Yes, yes, there is, in my opinion. But when you sort of go deeper and beyond that and you say, that lad has missed X amount of games and so on and so on and so on, at that point you go, right, okay, we probably need to probably need to sign a midfielder. And I still believe that's the case. And unfortunately, that's how it's bared out already. Like, nobody could have envisaged it happening and it sort of hitting us in the face so quickly. Like, when I was saying during the summer, yeah, but Thiago gets injured and Cater gets injured and Oxley chamberlain gets injured. To have them all missing, you know, for three games in is just ridiculous. Um, and it it should prompt Klopp Ward and FSG into action. Whether it does or not is a different story, quite frankly. Um, I would certainly sign a midfielder. I would, for all those reasons I just mentioned. Um, but yeah, I'm not entirely sure that we will. Because the way they always look at it, and it's something I say about Klopp's loyalty again, he doesn't want to sign someone and then Oxlade-Chamberlain's back available in three or four weeks and he's sat there thinking, oh, what happened? You can't rely on these people anymore. They've proven it time and time again. I had this conversation this week about Naby Keita. Like, we, we had this conversation, Dave, as well. Like, Naby Keita's demanding more game time 
Um, otherwise, he's not going to sign a new contract. And you just think, is he is he for real? Like, how is he using game time as a bargaining tool? Or what what's what has he got to stand on? What track record has he got of being fit and available? Has he got to say, oh, I deserve this and that? It's preposterous. And he's proven it again tonight. If it is injury-related, he's proven it again straight away. In the same week, he's demanding more game time in order to sign a new deal. He's out injured. I mean, you couldn't script it from the lad, could you? So it's a, it's a, it's a hard one because I get both sides of, of the argument, really. But um, if I had my way tomorrow when Jurgen Klopp was to ring me, I would suggest we sign one, definitely. I think it's a test of Liverpool's kind of model because this thing has been repeated the whole summer, only waiting for the right player. Um, and we don't just want a good player, we want the right player. Um, it's like Liverpool almost wouldn't want to be seen to be panicking into a purchase. It, it's not in their nature. Um, but at a certain point, you've got to be willing to like to compromise and, and see what's in front of you um, and just kind of protect yourself in a way. You know, you talked there, I, I, fu- I fully agree, Dan, about the injury history, making the depth an illusion. It's a point that um, I think is accepted at this point. I also think, though, that there are sort of issues in terms of quality um, in there too, to be fair. Um, and I think they're becoming clear with some of the individual performances uh, that we've seen so far. But that is going to about wrap us up. So we'll see if Liverpool do um, anything in the market uh, between now and the end and whether any sort of cater-related uh, issues trigger that. But yeah, we'll be back uh, towards the end of this week when hopefully we sort of recovered a little bit from this Um this really horrible result tonight um, and we'll be looking ahead to a game against Bournemouth at Anfield where we hope and pray Liverpool finally get their first win of the season so yeah uh, stay tuned for that like I say towards the end of this week uh, we'll see you then but until then uh, thanks for listening